Welcome to the first episode of the Six M's of Manufacturing podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Temple. Joining me today is Dr. Rebecca Battle Bryant, president and owner of Battle Plan Consulting. She has over 25 years of experience in human resources and management in a variety of sectors, including private industry, government, and higher education. She's also the co-author of SCMEP's Digital Workforce Development Playbook. So, uh, Dr. Battle Bryant, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, you know, kind of, and you and I have talked sort of offline quite a bit, and and you help a lot with uh, clients that we specifically work with sort of in that, um, you know, workforce development, even, you know, team dynamics, coaching, that kind of thing. But specifically, it just seems like, you know, workforce related challenges are, are one of the most prevailing issues in manufacturing, if not, you know, sector-wide, um, and recruitment and retention specifically being, you know, some of the most identified challenges. And I, I want to get your, your take on this. Um, I went recently to the SBDC, actually yesterday, had done an event to, you know, share outcomes from a survey they'd done with small business, understanding, you know, manufacturing is not a large percentage of that community that they had surveyed, but still the the issue that sort of bubbled up consistently was the workforce issue and labor shortages. And one of the things that really stuck with me is they actually identified too few candidates for jobs, you know, that they post is one of the contributing factors or hindrances to their ability to, to fill positions. And you know, kind of what are, what's your thoughts on that? Like, if you look at that and, and what you've been doing, you know, out there in industry and, and you know, just in the business community in general in this space, I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? And what might they be doing wrong or missing out on? Well, that's certainly a concern that I hear wherever I go is that there's no there's no one to do the work. But I also feel like that they might not be looking in the right places. Now, statistically, you know, are we going to see a decline in population? That's what the numbers kind of indicate. But as far as who is out there now, my question ultimately comes back to how inviting does your job sound and where are you posting your job? And so, you know, recruiting and retention hinges largely on an active and current job description. And I have found a lot of companies don't have current job descriptions, if any at all. And if you don't have a job description, that prevents you from, one, having an effective job posting. And number two, it prevents you from being able to let people know their expectations and goals, which is a huge component for recruiting, especially our younger workers. And it also can be a huge component with that job description can serve as the performance review and as the basis for how you do performance management if that becomes an issue in the future. So lack of a job description and lack of effective marketing of that could be a huge component to why people are not able to find the workforce that they need. What about the job? So job postings versus, you know, job description, or how do those, how do those two kind of feed into each other? You know, a lot of times we, if I recall from my time, you know, back in manufacturing in the plant, you know, a lot of times we just took a job description that maybe, you know, several years old and just sort of dusted it off and, 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 tweaked it a little bit based on what we might be looking for. And I really don't know that the job posting felt any different um, than what the job description was. So how are they different or how should they be different in that sort of recruitment space? Well, the job description to me needs to be much more detailed 
And um, there's resources that are available that are free um, to companies. They just sometimes don't know or HR managers are just so busy. Um, and and, and a, job, a good job description is not HR's problem. A good job description, HR can draft and come up with uh, you know, a basic format and what's the job tasks, but we need subject matter experts to say, take this out, add this, tweak this. So the job description to me is much more robust. Um, it's something that really talks about what are the skills, knowledge, and abilities, what are the actual tasks that will be conducted, uh, what are the unique things about that one particular uh, facility or organization, you know, that goes in the job description. Then what I tell companies when I help them with their job descriptions and postings, I say, let's take out the, you know, interesting stuff. We've got to think about who are you hiring right now, and it's typically um, younger millennials and old, and our Gen Zs. Our Gen Zs came in on the scene probably about 20, 2015, 2016, if they didn't go to college, uh, 2019, if they did. So your Gen Zs, they have a whole different way of looking at the world. So I, I say, pull out what's exciting and interesting about that job description and put make that your job posting and make it younger millennial Gen Z friendly, meaning here's what you'll be doing versus job duties, uh, you know, just trying to, to snazz it up a little bit so that it's something that they'll look at. The other thing is that, you know, I tell companies, if you're putting your job posting on your website, if you don't have a careers tab on your website, you need to get one. Um, and then another thing that has been a very surprising for me when I go out and work with companies is that they don't have an automated system for collecting job applications. And you don't have to get expensive. You don't have to get complicated. Um, you know, there's some companies that do have it online and it's so hard, hard to do. It takes more than 30 minutes. So that's a total waste too. But if you're saying, send me your resume or fill in these blanks here or come by the office, our younger workers aren't going to do that. If they can't find you on their phone and if they can't talk to you on their phone through an application tracking system, they call it ATS, um, then you're missing the boat. And there's all kinds of applicant tracking software systems that are at every price point that companies should be looking at to post that job and make it pretty easy for an applicant to get in touch with you. And then the other key to that is to be responsive. And if you've got a good applicant tracking software system, then you can automate emails to say, hey, we got your application, thank you for applying. And to immediately respond back if you're reviewing. The, the, the attention span and time limits that a younger worker is going to give a company is probably 24 to 48 hours. So um, when you're doing it the manual way, it's making it harder on your HR staff. And if you don't have the luxury of an HR staff, it's making it harder on your operations staff. So there's things you could do to simplify the process internally to your organization and also be more effective in reaching people. So that's interesting. So I have a question more about the the applications itself, because I know definitely from a, a user experience, you know, as far as candidates being able to put their information in, you know, that streamlines the process and makes it very convenient for them. But on the on the back end from the HR side or whoever's receiving that information in on those tracking apps, 
Is there any functionality that helps to streamline that process for them in terms of perhaps putting candidates in, in you know, certain buckets based off keyword data or things that match up to their request? I mean, is there something there that, that makes that process quicker? Because like you said, the, the end user or the person who is applying for the job, their expectation for direct communication and outcomes is much shorter than what it used to be. And so they expect an immediate response and some feedback. And you know, to be able to do that, if you've got candidates coming into that app, are, are the HR representatives that support that able to better, I guess, categorize or affinitize those groups and, and be able to provide response and, and follow up very quickly? Does it help them as well? Yes. I mean, it, it's going to, you, you can design what questions you want them to answer. And if they say no to something, then that disqualifies them. And that just, they'll get, if you've got a good applicant tracking software system, and there's so many, at, like I said, different price points, you decide that, but you've got to, you've got to know, but you can get, put your questions in there for them to say yes or no. And if they say no, an automatic email from you goes out and says, you know, thank you for applying. Um, unfortunately, you know, you're not going to be selected at this time. And also good applicant tracking software systems will keep track of the demographics of who's applying. So that makes your EEO reporting a lot easier. Um, it's just going to streamline a lot of things if it's used correctly. Um, and as it's designed to do on the on the backside of whether you have an HR staff or don't, it just makes your life a lot simpler. Well, that's good to know because, yeah, I, like I said, everybody moves at such a, a fast pace now. Everything is is instant gratification. You know, I want a result immediately. And so, you know, having a tool like that, it, it, it can certainly simplify the life of a, an HR representative, a business owner, whoever's trying to, to drive that um, recruitment strategy. So that's that's good to know. Another question for you, because, the you know, you talked about the job posting. Um, and how generationally, you know, what people are looking for in that job posting. Um, you know, when I look at that, what what kinds of things generationally are attractive right now based on, you know, I would consider to be, you know, current and even emerging workforce? You know, what are some of the things in the job posting that might help to strike interest and help to gain their attention and, and get them kind of in that funnel for recruitment? Well, certainly understanding our generational differences is a huge component of that, but um, I love, um, there's a book called It's the Manager by Jim uh, Harder and Jim Clifton, and it's published by, it's Gallup Research, and they talk about the changing needs of the workforce, and our younger workers are more driven by their purpose. What, what does that job do to help them feel like their purpose is being met? And I know that might sound crazy and hokey if you're in a production-oriented world. You're like, you know, we're here to produce. But they want to know what, what that company's doing to meet that purpose. Our younger workers are also driven much by social responsibility, um, by being an inclusive workforce. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are huge right now with our with these younger workers, and they want to know how that company is going to meet that need. And if they don't feel like the company is aligning with them, they're giving you on average about three weeks, three to four weeks, and then they say, forget it. Now, that's in a robust job market. Things have certainly gotten a little tighter and expenses are going up in the last year. So that's not to say it's going to stay that way. But for the last two years, over three to four million people have quit their job voluntarily every single month. And so when you're posting that job, you want to appeal to what you're doing to make the world a better place. And I always tell companies, do you have a little blurb about yourself? 
Um, do you have a, a meaningful tagline? Um, you know, if the things that are appealing to them are how they can make a difference right away. So what are the things that they can do? But also the biggest thing that our younger workers, Gen Z is looking for, they want to be trained. So if you have a strong learning and development program, if you have apprenticeship, you need to be putting that in your job posting that we will train you on the job, that you will receive certifications and credentials if, if, if indeed they do. Um, I would be putting all of that on there. One company, one nonprofit that I work with, um, they, they pay back student loans as a benefit. And instead of bonuses, they're offering student loan payback. And they advertise that front and center in their introductory paragraph about who they are. So what are the things that you're doing that makes a difference from a social responsibility perspective, from diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as just how you're going to make that person grow as an individual while they're at your company? And that's another question it kind of leads into because I mean you do talk about the you know, you know diversity, equity, and inclusion and, and just that you know more companies being overt and and wanting to create more diversity and you know promote their culture that they're you know wel welcoming all different perspectives. Um, and I'm curious because I, th I think in doing that, you know where are people or where should people be thinking about posting? their job openings. You know, we tend to be creatures of habit as humans. So we just kind of, you know, well, this is what has worked for the past, you know, six, seven years. And we go back to sort of those same places to post new job openings. Are there better strategies today to help get, you know, cast a wider net, right? And, and kind of get in front of people that you otherwise might not have. Um, are, are there suggestions there? Are there things that you're seeing in terms of trends that other um, business owners are using to make sure that they're really reaching more people and, and ensuring success to their, you know, their purpose in DEI? So, I mean, any, any thoughts on where those postings should be if they're not already? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people go back to Indeed or Glassdoor and, you know, all of the traditional job boards. First, if you have an applicant tracking software system, typically they are in your included in your price. They're posting on common job boards as well as your federal and state job boards, which is your the South Carolina State Jobs Database. Um, and so they're helping you uh, with that. So that's you might not be on those job boards. You know, a typical monthly Indeed job posting is going to run, you know, two, three hundred dollars, depending on how many times you want somebody to look at it. There's all kinds of algorithms for that. But nonetheless, you know, for a third of the cost of an Indeed ad, you could be paying per month to have that applicant tracking software system that would not only get your job posted on more boards um, than just one, but also allow, you know, greater flexibility for your staff. Number two, um, social media is huge, especially with our younger workers. So I've always, you know, I worked as the, uh, I was the chief human resource officer for a, a construction company, a bridge building company. And we, were posting uh, salaried, more professional jobs like engineers, uh, estimators, those would go on LinkedIn. And that LinkedIn charges you too. But we, what we tried to do was put those jobs on LinkedIn. Our hourly jobs seem to be seen more frequently on Facebook or Instagram. Um, if you've got a younger worker that's pretty, you know, snazzy, get them, you know, the, the Snapchat and TikTok are huge huge mediums for our younger workers. 
And, you know, recent research, I can't remember exactly where I, I read this, but, you know, my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, my generation goes to YouTube and Google when I don't know how to do something. And my daughter, who's 19, she goes to TikTok, which I wish she wasn't there, but she is. So our younger workers, they go there to look for almost everything. That is their go-to place for how-to videos. And so sharper companies are out on those mediums. And what, you know, some companies that I've worked with have very interesting uh, campaigns where if they post the job on, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, um, they ask their employees to share that job with their followers and might reward somebody that does the most sharing and gets it out. So if I've got 500 followers on Facebook and I share that job from my company, that's going out to 500 more people. Well, somebody might know somebody. And the number one way most people find a job is word of mouth referral. Uh, so, you know, that that is a huge thing. The other thing that I tell companies and the smart companies are, you know, that I see doing very well in recruiting is an internal referral program. And it doesn't have to be terribly expensive, but some companies have really upped the ante. But, you know, if you've got a, a highly trusted, highly regarded employee that is is referring someone and, you know, there's all kinds of ways to do it. Um, we did it at the company I worked with and we made the the amount that the referral fee was paid over the course of a year at, 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 at increments like the 90 day mark, which is, you know, and then the 180 day. So you can come up with all different um, scenarios. And I've helped several companies write policies for an internal referral program, which typically seems to be very successful for most companies that have it. I've seen some of that in, in talking to different manufacturers, especially some of the smaller ones, which, you know, again, if you're in a rural area and, and your job pool may not be very strong and you're competing with other other manufacturers or other businesses in the just in the general area and a lot of times they do talk about we have a, a referral program internally with our employees you know they, they end up bringing a you know a friend a church member a family member and, and referring them to this opportunity and so those do seem to to be extremely successful in places where people leverage just that I mean again you have to have the culture to back it up right I mean people don't recommend what they don't believe in so obviously there has to be some basis for them to feel like yes I would want my you know, my family member or my friends to work here, but I, I have seen where, you know, people have leveraged that sense of community and, you know, bring, bring someone with you and let's, let's work on a referral. And then I think it does help to secure that, you know, 90 days and beyond simply because, you know, again, you bring someone in, you have expectations of your friend. Don't let me down here. You know, I, I you know, wanted you to take this job or recommended you for this job. Um, so I do, I do see the the benefit of doing that. It's interesting to even, and I just had this conversation yesterday, so it's kind of funny, but the, the concept of, you know, just TikTok and, you know, Instagram and YouTube shorts. And, and, you know, we just know that that's where a lot of things are going more from even a, a marketing perspective and, and, you know, B2B and B2C, but it's interesting in this, you know, sort of workforce um, onboarding foot race that we're in, that this is kind of where we need to go. And that's a total, a total shift uh, from where we've traditionally been in terms of recruitment. So it's a, that's really I think indicative of just the the generations that are are coming into the workforce. It's an exciting change, but it's it's interesting to see that there's actually industry already um, leveraging that and having some success with that. Um, you know, something that I'm curious about when it comes to job descriptions, and and I've had this conversation with quite a few people. 
Um, and I'm, I'd be interested to hear what some of the, the stumbling blocks are when building a job description. I've, I've found sometimes it almost becomes more like a wish list um, for the job that they're hiring for. So you start to, to put on there a lot of um, specific skills and levels of experience that, you know, I can't be certain can necessarily are, you have to have that to be successful in this role coming in. And I'm curious, you know, do, what do you see there from uh, building a job description? What are the mistakes that they make? Do, do people sometimes get a carry, get carried away in, in writing a wish list versus really focusing on what they need? I mean, what are you seeing when you're supporting business owners who are trying to write new job descriptions um, or update ones they already have? Well, the, the biggest thing um, is I just think people forget about them or don't realize. And, and, and I think sometimes they just get overwhelmed with it all or like, we don't have time to do that. So my strategy is what is your highest turnover jobs? Where, do you, where are you seeing the most turnover? Usually it's at entry level positions. And so, you know, you've got to go in and look at what you had and say, does this apply? And you usually say, HR, you do this. And that's fine if you've got an HR department or if you don't, it's an overworked owner or chief operating officer, something like that. But I, I always say, and when I work with them, I go to several resources that are available to them. Um, and, and I pull all the tasks that might be associated with jo that job. A company I worked with recently, they had very unique jobs that were kind of a blend of of many positions. So I pulled those tasks in and then I have this long, long list. And I, I always say, I need a subject matter expert that is on the floor, not a manager, or maybe it's a manager that came up through the ranks, but somebody that's just gonna tell it like it is. And then we go through line by line and say, is this what you do? Is it not? Take out what we don't do, add what we do. Now let's prioritize what are entry level tasks versus mid-level task versus advanced task. And then I put the entry-level task at the top, and those are going to be what you want to advertise so that there's no mis, you know, misleading anyone about what was expected of you. And that also can then serve, one, as a basis for apprenticeship own the job training. Those tasks are what goes into developing your competency checklist if you decide to do apprenticeship. And I'm not a paid employee of apprenticeship, but I do firmly believe in what it brings to a workforce. And South Carolina has some of the best benefits to doing apprenticeship in addition to consultants to help you get registered, um, a tax incentive as well. But that those tasks on that job description can then be that competency checklist for the on-the-job training. And so I tell companies, let's look at what's entry-level, intermediate, and advanced. And if you want to just have the, the beginning ones at the top, or if you want to break it out by levels. And the same company that I sat down with the subject matter expert, we decided to say, you're going to be an operator level zero, which is entry level. We'll just say operator entry, then operator level one. And then they set criteria, whether that they achieved those tasks and they're proficient and very good at them and or a combination of other job experience that would allow them to come in at a level one, two or three with demonstrated skills um, assessments, looking and making sure they can fulfill that. So that way the companies advertised this is what we want from you. And then you can come in and say, this is what I can or cannot do. But it also, if you're advertising for entry level, you're not 
discouraging someone from applying for your job because you have tasks out there that they're like, I've never done that. Um, you know, and so I think that it allows you to be a little bit more transparent and open in your job posting that makes it more accessible, thus inclusive to get more people to apply. And then you've got a training plan to set them up for success when they get in, which ultimately leads to successful onboarding strategies, which is a whole nother discussion. We might have to get back together on how are you onboarding? What happens to them in those first one to three weeks is so critical because like I mentioned earlier, your Gen Zs, if they don't feel that they're 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 getting what they were told they were going to get, they're just going to walk out. Um, and there is no incentive to make them stay until, you know, they they have to. So right now they can and do leave, which is why you see so many help wanted signs. Um, but that's a whole nother ball of wax is what happens once that you've gotten them in the door. You know, but that job description is I, I, I sometimes refer to it as a foundation. But I was thinking about it the other day, last night, actually. And it's more of a keystone. It's that that center stone that holds everything else together. And whether it's the job posting and how you get them to come to your company and then what you do with them once you've gotten them in for your retention plan. And that those that's those same task lists that's on that job description can serve as your training plan, your performance management as well as your performance reviews. And so it's just really important. And I just tell people, don't get overwhelmed with it. If you don't feel like you can do it, you know, SEMEP can help you. I can help you, however that works. Um, or if, you, if, you, if you're the HR manager, let me show you some of my tricks and where you can get some free resources to help you. So with the, the job description specifically, you talked about performance management. And I think this is, this is something that's probably not common practice, at least in my experience. And again, I've been out of the plant for several years at this point, but, you know, when I look at it, the job description just sort of, you know, happened when you went to go hire somebody and you went through the interview process and you've hired some people. And then I don't ever recall revisiting that document unless we needed to repost for something else. So when you talk about performance management, you know, how do you really how can people better tie that back to the job description, you know, to have some sense of a, a standard or an expectation? Um, and I know not everybody does what I would consider be formal performance management, especially at the hourly level, but still, obviously, you you do, you know, give them coaching and, and mentoring. And then obviously, if there is some type of, of deviation from what's expected, there's obviously some sit down conversations. But how does that job description really fit and how should it be, you know, effectively used in that performance management space with an employee? Well, you know, that's a very good question. And you know, I was in HR, so it made my life easier if somebody was not performing to expectation to say, this is what was expected of you. And this is, you know, this is where you're not meeting expectation. And, <clears throat> and so I basically took what was in the job descriptions, when we set up performance management for the company I was with, we put those job expectations under the technical part. We had it set up in terms of uh, technical skills, uh, knowledge, skills, and abilities. So if somebody had gotten additional credential or had gone back to school, they got credit for that. And then we also had kind of a character, you know, soft skills section, like, you know, that you're demonstrating attendance, punctuality, you know, those kind of things that might not show up in a task list. So we had our reviews set up in three ways, but I 
to protect the company, to protect the company from a legal perspective, from just unnecessary drama, the best thing you can do is take what's in that job description and put it in your performance review as well as your coaching notes. And I'm always advocating that companies not just wait for the annual performance review or until there's a performance management problem. But, you know, and that's what I love about apprenticeship is that you're you're constantly talking about what is expected for you to move to the next level. And so that's where that job description, again, can serve as that keystone to, you know, pull those tasks into something where that discussion continues and it's a living, breathing document that doesn't get put on the shelf and gathers dust. It's something that can help fuel the conversation and really have a comprehensive kind of holistic perspective. And that is going to be so important, especially for our younger workers. They need to know what is expected of me. How am I doing? They want regular feedback, which is why I advocate for coaching versus the annual performance review. Um, I, although the annual performance review is very important, if you're doing regular and routine coaching, then the annual performance review should not be a, an issue whatsoever. Um, but it's it again, people go, oh my gosh, I don't know if I have time for this. We've got to produce. I don't have time to handhold. I get all that. But, you know, productivity and profitability, a lot is systems driven, but it's largely people driven. And if the people don't feel like they're valued or that there is an important of a resource as that big piece of equipment in the middle of your, your floor, then you're you're missing a huge part of what could potentially be even more productivity and more profitability is addressing that human component. And that human component is largely driven by relationships and having that conversation about how they're doing. And so the job description, again, is that key piece that can help you tell them what's expected and how they're doing and achieving that. So really, they need to start with a job description to really affect all of these other areas, the job posting and then the performance management piece. So it's it's almost it's at the center of everything, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it dictates a lot of that activity. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up about the the performance review being sort of a, an annual activity only. I've I've always kind of taken the the approach that I don't I don't think anything in my you know performance review should be a surprise to me, which is really my ask for if there's something that needs you know attention or if there's coaching that's needed, it needs to happen real time. I don't like this sort of look back. At something and then and then bring it up because I can no longer impact what's happened, you know, over the course of a year. I didn't get any better because I didn't know. And I think there's there is sort of that traditional approach to it's an it's an annual exercise and actually very little touch time in a lot of a lot of cases. It's sort of a back and forth transactional exercise. You fill in something, send it, you know, back to the manager, manager comments, and then just sits down with you for a few minutes. But you didn't really have an opportunity to improve or grow against what they expected because it's really kind of the first time that you're having a conversation. So I do think that's a bit of a blind spot for a lot of people. Um, and, and you don't get that opportunity to really develop a person across the course of a year, which is really what, you know, what you should be doing, right. As, as a leader or manager um, in an organization is, is to really help your people grow. And that's really how that happens. But I do think there's probably a lack of structure and understanding even at the base level for what is really expected, because I, I can honestly say I, I don't remember 
using a job description as sort of my guiding document for how I assess, you know, performance. I mean, I know generally what's expected, but I don't help that person to calibrate against that. So that's a, it's an interesting insight. I think a lot of people could really use, but obviously they need to start with even having job mm-hmm. descriptions. And, and I'm curious, just, you know, kind of close this out, but, you know, when it comes to the job descriptions, do you see, is there a certain, you know, organization size, you know, or, you know, industry segment that, you know, maybe they don't really have as the private business owner that typically, you know, the person who's wearing 15, 20 different hats. I mean, where do you see sort of the the cluster of people that really just don't even have job descriptions? Is it is it across the board? Is it more to private, you know, private business owners? Where do you see some of that that happening right now? I see it. I, you know, your big companies that are international. Well, you know, I found one huge company that's an international company and they really don't have job descriptions. So I think it's everywhere. Um, you know, small to medium for sure. But I can't even say like, you know, a, an international company that I worked with, um, they had they had them, but they had not been looked at in years. And, you know, it it, it means nothing. And they, you know, you've got to find a way to make it something that is meaningful, especially for our younger generations. And um, so I would say it's everybody, you know, if you haven't looked at it in the last year or two and make it sound really good, um, like a who we are introductory paragraph, and then like, you know, I, a snapshot of exciting things you'll do versus job responsibilities. And um, and then put the exciting stuff up first and also what they will actually be doing. If if you're advertising for a level three worker, then put, you know, level three, but don't expect somebody that rolled off the couch to do it. So make sure it's accurate and also talk to them about skills and knowledge and abilities, what they bring to the table, a high school diploma, a college degree. I don't know. It just depends on the job and describe what the working environment's like, you know, talk about that, that you might have to wear PPE, that there might be some conditions just so everybody's been transparent up front and you're not, you know, you're not wasting time with bringing somebody in and they go, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Another company um, that um, we talked to when uh, we were researching for the, the workforce development playbook. One thing they did that I found very interesting is they had the peers of who would have to work with that incoming person, interview them first. And I thought that was just fascinating. And they trained them in interview skills, you know, to know what questions to ask and not ask, you know, from that perspective. But they had them do that to say, is this person, would they have the the ability to come in and do that and, and get along with the others? And then if they got through that interview, they they talked to some management. But I thought that was interesting. But I tell companies, look at how you're interviewing people and what are you asking them? And are you rushed? Are you checking your email? Are you, you know, not giving them the time of day? Are you giving them the feeling that you'll take anything living and breathing? And some companies say that if they're breathing, I'll take them. But again, it's it's a, a very methodical process from the posting to the hire that they feel valued the whole way. But even more importantly, once they get there, are they still valued? And are you who you said you were, which gets back to, we talk about recruitment and retention. The third R of workforce strategies is your reputation. And you hinted at that earlier that 
people talk in their communities and especially our rural communities in South Carolina, what happens at the Piggly Wiggly in the church, you know, that that's almost as good as it being a law. And so you need to make sure that your company is, has a good reputation and they're treating people well. Um, or you might find that that's negatively impacting your ability to recruit people in the beginning, if, if at all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know we always kind of use that that quote that culture eats strategy for breakfast, and that really is true because you know culture is is really foundational for you know how people feel about where they're working and whether or not they would invite anybody else to to come and work there as well. And, and definitely in smaller communities. And I'm from a small town, so it definitely gets around. So that's a it's imperative that they do have a good culture, but then, like you said, what they represent to the community when they put those those postings out is is really you know honest and transparent as well, and really highlights the highlight reel of the really great things that you're doing. But you want to make sure you're not misrepresenting yourself either. You know, you don't want to oversell yourself on something you can't deliver on. So that's a that and that's really something to think about for anybody who might be listening because you know it's really easy to want to really, really promote yourself. But if it's something that you can't deliver on, we need to be honest and transparent. We just want to take the things that we are doing really well and the things that we think we should be proud of and, and making sure that that's included in that post that that really touts the things that we can deliver and, and why the people that work here enjoy it and, and what we feel we bring to the community and, and really you know, not oversell, but just be very honest and, and show your excitement around, around the things that you do exceptionally well. So I think that's it's really good insight and, and some things for people to think about. Um, Dr. Battlebrian, I really appreciate you talking to me today. There's a lot of things, uh, obviously, that we could kind of keep going down and, and certainly may have some revisiting episodes to discuss that. Because like you said, getting them in the door is one thing and then really starting to onboard them and, and develop that relationship so they stay past the first 90 is, is extremely critical and it's a whole other conversation. So hopefully we can have some of those conversations in the future. But I really appreciate you being here um, and look forward to talking to you again in the future. Well, thank you for having me, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of the 6Ms of Manufacturing podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Rebecca Battle Bryant, for sharing her insight and expertise with us. In today's episode, we discuss the importance a job description plays in the development of compelling job postings and job performance management. If these principles are executed effectively, organizations are poised for improved candidate recruitment. If you're interested in learning more about SCMEP's Digital Workforce Development Playbook, which discusses these topics and more, visit the link in the episode notes. Join us next month for another exciting installment. And remember, don't just make it, make it better.